Welcome to Dead Pilot Society, a podcast that takes comedy pilots from A-list writers that were sold and developed at networks but never produced, and gives them the table reads they never got a chance to have. I'm Andrew Reich, the creator and co-host of Dead Pilot Society. I'm also a television writer and producer, having worked on many shows, including Friends, the show that introduced America to the beverage, Coffee. First, some plugs. We've got two live shows coming up. Dead Pilot Society will be at the San Francisco Sketch Fest this Sunday, January 15th. My co-host Ben Blacker and I will be hosting readings of a script by Andy Richter and Eric Zicklin and another by Steve Agee and Rob Schrab. Performers will include Andy Richter, Steve Agee, Paul F. Tompkins, Dave Foley, Wyatt Senak, Joshua Molina, Janet Varney, and others. Go to sfsketchfest.com slash schedule for tickets. And we'll be returning to Largo in Los Angeles on Saturday, February 4th with a script by Casey Wilson and June Diane Raphael and another one by Samantha McIntyre. Performers lined up so far include Casey Wilson, June Diane Raphael, Adam Scott, Paul Shear, Zachary Knighton, and there will be many more. Go to largo-la.com for tickets. Come check out the Dead Pilots live experience. So it's January, one of the most stressful months of the network development calendar. Final drafts are being turned in. Decisions are starting to be made about which pilots are going to be shot. If you're a writer with a pilot in contention, this is when you start refreshing deadline frequently and doing pilot math. You heard from your agent that the network that bought your script is going to pick up 10 comedy pilots, but they've got three that were bought with production commitments, so that only leaves seven slots. And you try to guess how many of those are going to be single camera and how many are going to be family comedies. And you basically drive yourself crazy waiting for a phone call that's either going to be good or bad. If it's good, both the network and the studio are on the phone. If it's just the studio, you're dead. But there's always Dead Pilot Society. Today on the show, we have a dead pilot by writer, director, producer Will Gluck called Angry Angel. I interviewed Will a few months ago about the show, and it was before uh, Michael Schur's The Good Place had premiered. And you'll see that there are some interesting parallels between the two shows. We also had a little air conditioning issue partway through the interview, so that's exciting. Be sure to listen for that. Uh, Anyway, here's my interview with Will Gluck and then Angry Angel with Aubrey Plaza reading the lead. But first, a quick message. Hey guys, this is Adam Conover. You may know me from my true TV show, Adam Ruins Everything. Well, guess what? Now we're doing a podcast version right here on Maximum Fun. What we do is we take all the interesting, fascinating experts that we talk to for just a couple minutes on the show, and we sit with them for an entire podcast, really going deep and getting into the fascinating details of their work. Find Adam Ruins Everything wherever you get your podcasts or at MaximumFun.org. I'm here with, uh, with Will Gluck, uh, writer. Director, producer, uh, known for Easy A, Friends with Benefits, Annie, and television, Michael J. Fox show, producer, McCarthy's many things, but we're here to talk about your uh, dead pilot, Angry Angel. My dead pilot. So, when did you write Angry Angel? I wrote this script in 2012. So, at that point, and you wrote it for who? I wrote it for the National Broadcasting Company. Okay. Which is NBC. Oh, did I? Did you? I thought it was... I'm sorry. I apologize. (laughs) The American Broadcasting. I I wrote for the American Broadcasting, ABC, for Paul Lee. That's correct. Okay. Yes. And at that point, so you were already, you'd already directed films, you were already, you know, sort of focused on writing, directing features and producing TV, but you wrote, you know, this, 
Right. Well, I came from television. Right. I was always a t- I started as a TV writer, and I wrote TV for a while and had some shows on the air that I created and co-created. Then fell into fell into the movie business during the writer's strike, actually. So I guess one good thing happened from the writer's strike, or maybe a couple good things. Um, so then after my movie came out, I had some time, and I've always had this idea, so I pitched it uh, and uh, sold to ABC. And that, so how much of that idea, of how much of the script as it turned out was in that pitch? How close to... The original idea was it... it Will people be listening to this? They're, they're going to listen to us talking first, and then they'll listen oh, to the well, read. Oh, I will tell you right now, listeners, you are in for quite a treat. <laughs> so uh, just hang on to your, your steering wheels. Um, it, I initially created it in my head for a, a guy. The, the protagonist was supposed to be a man who I was doing a movie with. Who I, I always tend to fall in love with the actors I do movies with, the actors and actresses, platonically, of course. Sure. Um, so I did it. I wanted to do it for him. Um, but then in kind of developing, and I thought, hey, might, may, maybe it might be more fun if, if it's a woman. So then I changed it to a woman before the pitch, and that was pretty much the script that that I wrote. Now, the version that was read on the podcast, I think, was kind of a middle version of the note sessions. So I don't think this was the first draft, the pure version of it. But I also don't think it was the version at the very end either. So this week we sort of read your favorite draft was it the kind of thing where you got notes that you were the final version you didn't love as much as an earlier draft right so I think that the, the earlier version is always the purest which doesn't necessarily mean by any means it's the best I just mean I think the idea is always the cleanest so I think this version I don't remember which version this was but um, I know there's a couple things in there that I didn't initially think of when I had the idea and I think it feels clunky when I listen to it, and I think when people watch a show that has been heavily noted, um, not just by the networks, but also by the writers themselves or the directors, the clunkiness comes from when something happens and the idea loses its purity that doesn't quite make sense, even though in, in the, when you watch it, it kind of makes sense when you take a step back and explain it to someone. That's always my litmus test. If you explain to somebody what this is, if it kind of feels off, there are a couple clunky moments in this script, but you have to. I only blame myself because, a, I said yes to the idea, and at some point I thought the ideas were good, and then I, I wrote them. But there, there are some moments that I thought was were strange, especially when I heard it being read. Like what? Out loud. The the concept of adding a um, a workplace to, and I think this is the version we read. I can't remember. She works in the she restaurant. Works in, works in a restaurant. I yeah. never had her working anywhere really. I had her just kind of doing odd jobs and just being focused more on, on the, the angel part, part of it. But they wanted a kind of home base. Um, and again, the more you do it, you realize the notes are never, they never come from, they're never bad. They, 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 I know why they give all the notes, um, but I think in this situation it, it really was strange because... So we should say, what, you know, the, the idea, do you want to sort of sum summarize sure. the basic idea of the show? The basic idea of the show is, uh, well, this is a hard one. That's the other problem with this show. <laughs> this is a hard one. This, this show is a, a woman who died prematurely, was, went to heaven, in heaven, when you find out, and actually Mike Schur has a show on right now that takes place in heaven, which is interesting, because um, I can't wait to see it. Um, but uh, in heaven, she does something wrong 
she breaks the law, you find out heaven is just like the real world, she breaks the law and she's sentenced to go back down to earth and, and perform miracles and that's when you find out what angels, what we think of angels are people that have done stuff wrong in heaven and are sent back to earth to perform, to perform miracles, that's why the jokes like Gandhi and Mother Teresa did horrible things in heaven which is why they were sentenced to come back to earth. Um, and in, and she she um, she had a very very long sentence because she had a really tough judge in heaven. It's a very it's a very long explanation. <laughs> and because of that, she's been on in earth for a long time trying to perform these little miracles, and in which when she does, she gets points for them. And once she has enough points, she'll be sent back up to heaven. And that's basically the show. However, when it takes place on when you watch the show, it looks like regular Earth. She just looks like a regular person. And, and you really, I really wanted people to and leave the show at the end thinking, were those miracles or did something just by happenstance happen? So it's, it, it's, it's all the miracles she performs are something that anyone else could do too. She just happens to be right. an angel. It's funny that I just you know passed by a poster for Sully. And which I, the, which and I the, saw the, last the, week. Oh, yeah, okay, yes. but the show, the pilot opens with a less flattering portrayal of, of Sully. Basically, that he would not have pulled off this landing were it not for right. Allison, your main character, and you know that's the big, you know, right. Sully's landing is the big opening of the pilot. The opening of the show, mm -hmm. Sully's about to, to to put the plane in the water and kill everyone, and my main character mm -hmm. Allie gets a call that she has to save the plane, and she goes and knocks on the cockpit door, punches Sully out, punches the the uh, co-pilot out, saves the plane, but then Sully gets all the credit, and that's why Alice and our main character are so upset, because she should have been, she should have gotten And also because she was hoping that she's going to die and Correct. get to go back. Right, there's another bylaw. Maybe the more I explain this pilot, <laughs> so there's a lot of rules of this. <laughs> if you die of natural causes on planet Earth, you get to go back you to heaven. You get to go back to heaven. And this was it. And it was also, I was that, that you, and I wonder if, the, you know, there's a big, there's a plane landing, your, your pilot opens with a, a plane landing and the Hudson right. people on the wing, you've got people running through New York, you've got scenes in Grand Central Station, I right. think there were, uh, I think we counted, there's 30 speaking parts. Right. Uh, was that, do you think like having been writing movies and doing movies, I mean, there's a lot of production in this, in this pilot, I don't know if that was an issue when the decision came down as to whether to shoot this pilot? I, I never think that production has any of the reason why they decide to pick up a pilot or not. I know people blame it on that, but honestly, I think when they read it and they say they want to do it, they then hand it to someone and say, figure it out. Figure which out is how kind to do this jobs. for this budget. I, I think that we as writers often put too much on on that kind of stuff. If, you know, if they really liked the idea and they really wanted to do it that year, Paul Lee would have said, figure it out, how to do it. Right. So I don't think that had anything to do with right. it. I think they just didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> did they ever, you know, when did you get any explanation for why it didn't get shot, or was it the usual just... It's a, it was, um, do I, I'm trying to remember, it's been a long time ago. They're usually pretty honest with me because I know those guys pretty well. I think a lot had to do with, they thought it was a really strange idea, hard to explain. It wasn't a, wasn't a, um, a character that people could relate to as a kind of a strange character. And maybe they just didn't like it. <laughs> Maybe they just didn't. We're not a fan. She's not of that writing. hard, but she's not that hard. She's a great character. I mean, she's you know she's tough, but she you know she's got this like very you know we Aubrey Plaza played her in the read, and she I feel like she had that great you know energy, yeah. such a dry sense of humor, you know, just this very cynical outlook. Yeah. Um, I don't think she's an unlikable character. Um, I don't think. <laughs> I, I just think it was tough to 
Do you want me to turn the air conditioning off? It's pretty loud. Um, we should probably. Did you have someone in mind when you were writing? Once you changed that character to a woman, did you have someone in mind? I wanted, in my head, it was going to be um, Anna Ferris. Okay. Yeah. But Aubrey Plaza did such a good job. And I remember I, took, I went to lunch with her afterwards, after the pilot. I was like, oh, you have to do this. It's so good. Um, um, but yeah. But this, you know, getting back to so that opening scene, you know, production design. It's a it's it's a great, you know, memorable opening right. scene for pilot. I mean, how much when you're writing pilots, just wondering like general philosophy on things on these things. How much do you think about the opening scene of a pilot? As how crucial is that? Um, the idea of the entire pilot came from that scene because I, I have an infatuation with Captain Chesley Sullenberger. In a lot of my movies and stuff, I put references to him, um, but I have a I have a misplaced infatuation. I, I think that he's he's uh, the, the hagiography of America has made him a hero. Um, when I don't believe he's the hero that he's been uh, he's been afforded. So, so I have a contrarian view of Captain. So part of this was just to debunk the yes exaltation. That's of correct. Sully. Of Sully. Oh. And I think, and the movie actually, Sully does a great job in saying, it, at that time when this happened, America was in the pits. So like the economy was terrible. Everything was terrible. Like the America needed a hero, and they found him in the in the in the body of a sixty year old pilot for U.S. Airways. But that really, so that was the spark for for this. Was yes. that, and then you thought like. Yes. From that, you got to yes. Angel. Angel and how angels work. and what I like to make things practical, so if you like to take the spiritual, make them practical, and that's what this is. If, if uh, I think everyone, everything can be explained away. People always say things happen for a reason, and I say, exactly, there was five reasons why that happened, and you practically explain the reasons, and that kind of is my cynical view of the world. But yes, it all started with Sully. Okay. And how about Sean White, who also figures in the pilot? Is <laughs> so it also Sean White was a, you know is a friend of mine because I put him in a movie, and uh, I just was obsessed with the fact that why aren't angels ever famous people? So you know, so I think it should be a famous it should be a famous person because angels need to get into the backstage of the Oscars and the places that normal people can't get into. And I really was infatuated at that time. Sean White had long hair. And I really love the idea of when you first met Sean. A, he was a jerk because Sean's like the nicest guy in the world. So I wanted to make him a jerk. I wanted him to take off his hat and see that the whole thing was a wig. So that was all because of that. And when you read it now, it's quite dated. There's a couple that, you know, we should keep, listeners should keep, you know, Angry Birds is maybe not as... Well, now it's big again. I guess it is big again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, all your angels sort of, you know, she's got, she was kind of, so Allison in her former life before she died was kind of a very plain person, right? And now she's like this bombshell. Right, you get to keep, you, the, one of the rules are you get to pick your body. You get to pick your body when you come back. Um, and she picked this body. And, and there's also some stuff that, that in the script, I think it's the one you get to play with that she's, how she's treated now as a pretty woman as opposed to how she was treated as a more plain woman. It's much different. So there's a lot of identity and body and gender identity in this script. Right. And then you have your angel who chose to be black. He chose to be black, right. And she, right, there's a whole discussion about race. There's a, there's a way of getting into all these different things because it's so absurd that people are less, um, I think, upset to, to, to watch stuff like this. Right. But apparently ABC was very upset because we're not going to watch it. <laughs> um, when you, ap- approaching a pilot, you know, you've written, you started writing TV, you've written movies, 
you know, how much different is that process of approaching writing a pilot versus writing a movie? How much did you plan out, you know, what the season would look like, what season two, I mean, when you went into that pitch, you know, how, how far ahead had you thought? I think, and but I think, by the way, when I did this four, four years ago, it was still, it's, even though it was four years ago, it was such a long time ago in our business, I think back then I just pitched the pilot out. And I don't even think they asked me what was going to happen after that because the business back then was much more about just buy the pilot and then we'll figure it out. I think now, rightly so, cable and streaming have now asked writers and tasked writers with what is the whole season about, what's going to happen. I think it's, it's, much, it's become much more of a movie, but when I wrote that, it was much more of just like a one-off and I would, it's going to figure out what's going to happen later. Right, but you plan things at the end. I mean, you did, oh, I you, knew. you planted, you know, some things... I planned a love forward. triangle. I knew they wouldn't have a love triangle. Um, I knew that he had that she had the rival with the other angel, um, right. but the actual what was going to happen, and it's actually interesting that in the last little bit of the pilot, which, God, I'm so jealous that your listeners are about to listen <laughs> to this. Um, she sees her old husband, on the on the train station, and in my head it was going to be James Corden, and. And now in the movie I'm doing right now, I'm working with James Corden, so it's all come full circle. Okay, yeah. yeah. So this is Peter Rabbit. This like, is Peter Rabbit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting trial. So she's got her boyfriend in her Allison, you know, in this new body. She's got the boyfriend, the hot boyfriend, the hot boyfriend, Ed, who played by Ed Weeks in the yes. uh, uh, in the reading, and then she's got her husband who you know, you would not recognize her. She's in a completely different body who's a sort of a plainer, older right. guy. I love the idea of having a love triangle between a, a very attractive woman, <laughs> kind of a dumpy man, and an attractive man, and the attractive woman is just, somehow she doesn't know why, but she's infatuated with, with the kind of pudgy man, and it's you find out later it's because she, she was married to him, but she, she doesn't know that. Right. Yeah. Um, You've done a lot of pilots, a lot of, you know, a lot have gone, some haven't. Yes. I mean, are there any... Uh, that I wish had not gone? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, that's often true. Any wisdom you feel like you've found through this process? you produced a lot? You've, I mean, have you, do you think you've figured out anything about uh, how this all works? The only thing I figured out, I think I figured out, is that, and no, no one's going to want to hear this, but... I, I truly believe that, yes, good pilot is about the writing, but it's really about the casting. It's, I really think that if you have, we spend so much time, the script people spend so much time developing, developing, and over and over developing, and then we cast them in a week or two weeks or whoever's available. Movies are different, right? You can't, you don't get a movie made until you find the right cast. There's no time. So that's the one difference that I wish, I, I remember once working in, you know, TV writers do a lot of, when their friends have pilots, they'll come in for a week and spend some time for free because TV writers love doing favors for multinational companies <laughs> that are worth billions of dollars. Um, but you just do Sometimes it. Sometimes you get a bottle of wine. A bottle of wine. You get a gift certificate to a hotel that isn't enough to cover <laughs> a night at the hotel. Like, here's $400 at the montage. That covers one quarter of your night. That's good. <laughs> I remember I once got a TiVo, back when the TiVo sure. was right. And it was like, oh, this is terrific. But then you had to buy the subscription to TiVo. Right. So... Um, but I remember one time I worked on a friend and basically on the second day of production, the, the network or whoever threw the whole script out. They just, it said it's not working, it's, we're just going to shut it down. And then they did a calculation 
that, oh, well, we have 70% of the money's already in. We owe the cash. You owe all these people all the money. The production, you can't. So they said, all right, um, figure it out. So the writer and a couple of us, four or five, basically had the great fun of saying, okay, it's now Tuesday night. We have to shoot this on Friday. We got this actor, we got this actor, we got that set. Let's figure it out. And that to me was the most fun ever because you wrote purely towards those actors' faults. I mean, um, strengths. Not faults, <laughs> those actors' strengths. And you wrote with your friends and you knew the set and it became a puzzle, but it became, it, it became a true exercise in, in what we all started doing, which is that when you were in middle school or you were at camp, you would just write, like, you're going to be in it, you're going to be in it, and we got, the, we got the trunk full of toys, let's put... So it became a actually, did, it, did that pilot go? Yes, it was called Friends. No, it, <laughs> it did not go. It was passed on, but I don't think it was any worse than the other pilots that were passed on. So it's, 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 it was a big lesson. But that was the most fun, those four days. Yeah, it's amazing. People don't realize that you, know, you spend these months you know, getting notes and these outlines and writing it, and then often you then just throw all that out and write it again in a night yeah. or, or two. Right, and that's what those Pixar guys say like when is the movie in Pixar movies never done you just run out of time right it just wouldn't now they do it the right way they spend out years and years and years but oftentimes when you make a pilot it's just whatever happened to be on the day you shot where you were in the process yeah so let me just say who was in our cast um, for this read so as we said Aubrey Plaza was Allison Pike Danielle Nicolette played Connie her boss at the uh, at the diner Ed Weeks was her boyfriend Barker uh, Cedric Yarbrough uh, was Leonard, uh, Khaki, Craig Khaki Kakowski was Sean White, John Ross Bowie was the male judge, and Carrie Kenny Silver was the female judge, uh, Josh Zuckerman was the stoned college kid in the uh, big computer crash uh, scene, and then we had lots of great, you know, for the remaining, you know, <laughs> 50 speaking parts, uh, Chris Tallman, Mark McConville, Allison Rich, Gary Anthony Williams, Janet Varney, Jamie Denbo, uh, I think that was everyone's a big cast. Now, I should also say for you listeners about to hear this, our, this was in the early rough and tumble days of Dead Pilot Society, and our sound uh, engineer came late that day, too late for the recording of this. So this was recorded on two iPhones. No kidding. Um, so the sound's okay. It's not, you know, it's not the best, so, you know, be aware uh, of that as you, as you listen to the read. I think it's, you know, it's pretty good. Um, and anything else? You should, no. Yeah, we should, let's talk about what's happening, what's happened to Angry Angel uh, Right, recently. so this just in, uh, so Angry Angel was actually picked up by ABC's sister network, Freeform, Formerly ABC Family. Formerly ABC Family, Freeform. Um, and we're making a two-hour movie out of it, uh, which is going to be a backdoor pilot to a potential series. And with all the stuff I described and what has to happen in this 25-minute pilot, it makes sense why they want to make a two-hour movie on it. So right now, we are um, it's changing, rewriting the script for a, t- t- for a two-hour movie. Will we see more of Heaven? You'll never see Heaven. Okay. Um, my idea has always been it's just whatever you think it is, heaven. You see, you see you'll see, you see some bits of the, the courtroom in heaven. Um, but to me, this is a show about what happens here. here. Um, so, yeah, that's exciting. So it's going to be extended, and, and hopefully you'll see it on Freeform. Or we might make it and then never see it again. Yeah. So it's Dead Pilot with an asterisk. 
Right, uh, it's 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 um, life life support pilot. Yeah, well, that's exciting. That's great. I mean, it's such a good show. It deserves to have a life. Uh, it's we'll a show it. about resu- You know, it's a show about it's kind of rising from the ashes, resurrection. Bit, li- yeah. You know, life after death. So it makes sense. And it is. I will say thank you. It is fun. This is great to hear that stuff being because there's no there's no greater thrill and actually greater. St- Scare when your when your pilot is being read for the first time um, in front of the network after you cast it. It's extremely scary in the beginning because all you're thinking about is all the stuff that you have to fix or can go wrong. But it's it's thrilling for all that work you're doing that you can actually see it come to life. And the beauty of dead pilots is that there's no downside. It's just fun. So you get to sit down there, fold your arms, don't look at your own script, and just hear it read. And it was very thrilling. So I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Uh, we loved it. Thanks, Will. Thank you, sir. Hi, this is Griffin McElroy. Hi, this is Rachel McElroy. And we're the hosts of Rose Buddies. It's a podcast about the Bachelor family of products. We watch The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, and Bachelor in Paradise. Yes, it is garbage television, but we're the king and queen of this garbage pile. We're the raccoons in charge around here. So join us on Tuesdays. Because the TV show's on Mondays. And basically we'll recap what we saw and we'll just sort of scoop the garbage around us and make a little fort out of it. No viewing required. But it's it's a good TV show. What are you doing? <laughs> Over Black, it's January 15th, 2009. Uh, this is U.S. Airways 1549, hit birds, lost thrust in both engines. You need to return to LaGuardia, turn left heading 220. We're unable, we may end up in the Hudson. I'm sorry, say again, 1549? We fade in into the main cabin of an airplane, the passengers are all hysterical. We hear a middle-aged man, a teenage girl, and a businessman all on their cell phones. I love you so much. Tell Katie and Isaac I love them too. Oh, I'm so sorry I cheated on you. You deserve better. Please forgive me. <laughs> the plane banks hard to the left. All the passengers react. We're in the cockpit. It's the now famous Captain Sully Sullenberger and his co-pilot. We have to ditch in the river. Head for the metal. 1549. Do you read? 1549. The George Washington Bridge is dead ahead. We're in the main cabin. The camera pushes down the aisle. On their phones, we hear a flight attendant, a man in a uniform, and a young man on their phones. We lost both engines. It's not a hijack. It's mechanical. Call Charlie for all the pin numbers. You're going to be fine. I love you. I didn't deserve you, baby. You're my angel. I'll see you in heaven. The camera lands on a beautiful, if haggard, woman. The only person on the plane not on a cell phone. And she doesn't seem scared. In fact, she looks ecstatic. This is Allison Pike, and she's singing incorrectly. Bye-bye, Miss American Pie. Tell them good old boys I'm drinking whiskey and wine. Yeah, this will be the day that I die. She sees, she sees the Hudson River out the window. It's coming for her. Yes, in the cockpit, the George Washington Bridge zooms underneath. They just cleared it. The captain grips tightly. Brace for impact. The co-captain grabs his ankles in the crash position. In the main cabin, they're screaming, praying, wailing. Everyone except Pike. She looks like she's in the middle of an orgasm. <laughs> the camera darts around, grabbing different snippets of calls. I love you. Back to Pike, who's now yes, standing in the take middle of the aisle. Me, take me now. Yes, I'm going home. Her cell phone rings. She looks at it. Oh no, no. This is Pike. Yeah, I'm on the plane. I was heading to North Carolina to get a group of factory workers to buy a lottery ticket, but now that- What? You can't be serious. Come on, Mr. White. I'm seconds away from finally getting to go back up. 
Technically, I shouldn't even be using my cell phone on the plane. God damn it. She slams the phone shut and heads up the aisle towards the cockpit. A woman steps in her way, hysterical. We're gonna die! I wish. She, sho <laughs> she shoves her out of the way. In the cockpit, the Hudson River fills the windshield. It's no more than a few hundred feet below. Sully is panicking. I can't control it! We're gonna crash! <laughs> Just then, the cockpit door explodes open and Pike bursts in. Sully and his co-pilot turn to see Pike. What the hell? Sorry about this. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry about this. Pike karate chops him in the face and knocks him out. Then she roundhouse kicks the co-pilot and sends him flying. Pike jumps into the captain's seat and takes the controls. She jams them the other way. Amateurs. We slam to black. We fade in. Exterior of the airplane wing in the Hudson River. It's ten minutes later. The now iconic picture of all the passengers standing on the wing as rescue boats lead them to safety. They're hugging each other and thanking Sully. Pike stands at the end of the wing, barking into her cell. The plane hit birds. Would have been totally accidental. That's the rule. Die accidentally. Sentence gets commuted. I should be done here. The businessman sidles over and wraps Pike in a bear hug. We landed on water. It's a miracle. <laughs> uh, yeah, kind of sorry you admitted to the cheating thing, huh? <laughs> she ever so slightly nudges the man into the freezing water. Man down! <laughs> at least this has got to be worth the time points, right? She takes the phone away from her ear and quickly brings up the Angry Birds app. She expertly completes an impossibly hard level and up pops land plane on river. 16 points. Achieved by A. Pike. She speaks back into the phone. 16 points? That's what you get for reuniting a kid with his missing hamster. What? No way that, no way that pilot would have landed it. Dude's a moron. He has flops at 10 degrees. His ailerons at max. It's gonna be a bloodbath. A rescue boat zooms over to the wing and scoops up the businessman from the river. Pike continues. So I'm getting schnonked because they think it might have landed safely anyway. Well, I think I've been down here long enough, even if I don't have all my points. Ma'am, give me your hand. You at least owe me an appeal. I landed a 757 on a river. That's like a baby Jessica miracle. The guy who did that got 15,000 points for one baby. I saved like 200 people and probably even a baby. Ma'am, your hand. Reach out. I want an appeal, Mr. White. Please get me an appeal. We got you. Nobody's dying today. Yeah, no kidding, genius. <laughs> <laughs> Music comes up. Angry Angel by Imogen Heap. Main title, and then we're in Gemma restaurant the next morning. It's an upscale eatery attached to the fancy Bowery Hotel. Pike walks in and throws on an apron. She heads behind the counter as her manager comes out from the back, a Rubens-esque woman named Connie. My eyes deceive me. That couldn't possibly be the skinny blonde girl who's supposed to work here. Sorry about bailing yesterday. I left you a message. Oh, you left a message! My bad! Totally overreacted. Sorry to have bothered you. You want a hug? <laughs> How was your date last night? I didn't have a date last night. Just taking a stab. Trying to be a good friend. Oh, don't try. Just be yourself. Your boobs look great in that shirt. <laughs> Can I get a little more coffee, Pike? Yep. She brings over some coffee and pours him a cup. As she leans over, he stares at her cleavage. Knowing the game, Pike leans over even further. Missed you yesterday. Sorry, I had a thing. You good? I am now. She turns and struts to the counter, the regular watching her the whole way. As she gets to the counter... You still walking? Yep. And he's not the only one. There was almost a riot yesterday when you didn't show up. Job security, sweet! Amen, sister. We got it. We gotta flaunt it. Connie struts her bodacious self through the restaurant. Pike laughs. Connie throws her a conspiratorial glance. Just then, Pike gets a text. Appeal granted. 15 West Fulton Street at 3 p.m. She responds, be there with wings on. 
She heads into the kitchen. In the kitchen, Pike enters and sees the line cook. He's a good-looking guy with tats up and down one arm. Barker. She sneaks up behind him and smacks his butt with a spatula. What you want, Addy? Just a little conversation with the guy I make love to. Is that what you call it? Mm-hmm. What would you call it? Year long period of confusion. Has it been a year? Happy anniversary! What is the traditional gift for the first year of an on again, off again, never know where you stand relationship with an insanely withholding freak show? I think it's cured me. <laughs> I thought you were off today. Is that where you're working? You've managed to not work the same shift as me for like three weeks now. The amount of shifts you miss is not particularly hard. Have dinner with me tonight. I can't do this anymore. We talked about this. I've got some news. I don't want to jinx it, but I think I'm going home. Really? Yeah, I find out today. Way to go. You've been wanting to go back ever since I've known you. It's an awesome place. Everyone's happy. Nobody fights. Once you're there, you never want to leave. But you did. Circumstances beyond my control. I still can't believe Nebraska's that to me. I don't think Nebraska's in my future, so no offense. Just because you experimented with that dude in college, they, they don't care about that. <laughs> what? I'm kidding. Have dinner with me. Don't make me beg. She smiles at him. There is a sweetness to her. Oh, you're buying? We work at a restaurant. We eat for free. Oh, yeah. Fine. Your place. I'll cook. She lunges in and kisses him before he can protest. Can I get two steaks to go? One with potatoes, one with... You like spinach, right? Spinach. <laughs> so clever. Can I have my spatula back, please? It's a kitchen tool, not a weapon. She hands it to him. He smacks her on the butt with it. Just then her phone vibrates. She grabs it as Angry Birds pops up. She skillfully kills a very complicated screen and words pop up. Child, fall off monkey bars. Park slope. See you tonight. In the dining room, she bursts in, whipping off her apron. Hey, Connie, I need to take off the rest of the day. That would imply that you worked for some of the day. I'm really sorry, something came up, which I'm not going to ask you about, because I never ask you about what you always run off to do, because I, too, have a checkered past, and I foolishly operate under the credo, don't start none, won't be none. You're the best boss ever. No, I'm the worst boss ever, because a good boss would set aside her friendship with an employee and manage an eye towards the bottom line. Look at me, friendship is all that matters. No one dies and says, I wish I had had fewer friends. Yeah, because if you're dead, you don't say anything. <laughs> you're dead. Not always. <laughs> Love ya. Pike runs out. All the customers watch her go. We see her through the windows mouthing thanks to Connie. Exterior of the restaurant, moments later, Pike exits and overhears two Wall Streeters talking. That rock star Sully landed it on the river. That's kung fu. Everybody's eating it up, too. The Dow's up for the first day in weeks. They high-five. Pike checks her watch. You want a miracle? Getting across the Brooklyn Bridge at 2 p.m. on a Friday, there's your goddamn miracle. One of the Wall Streeters has hailed a cab. Pike steals it. Hey, that's my cab. No fair. Get a real job. Go make something. Interior <laughs> of the taxi. Hey, 8809 Flatbush. It's life or death. The cab pulls out. Or exterior of the Brooklyn Bridge. An overhead shot of the taxi stuck in bumper-to-bumper traffic. Pike gets out and takes off running across the bridge. On Flatbush Avenue, Pike runs down the street, a sweaty mess. Interior apartment building moments later. She chugs into the lobby and tries the door. It's locked. She can see kids playing on equipment in the courtyard through the back. She hits every apartment buzzer. After a few seconds, a few older voices call down. Hey, Nana, guess what? I just got engaged. (laughs) She immediately gets buzzed in. (laughs) We're exterior of the courtyard playground. Children play while their mothers watch. Pike runs up to a young girl in the sandbox. 
hey, do you know a little boy named Huckleberry Goldberg? Huck, really? Huckleberry? Like, do this to their kids. It's like tough enough being the child of hipster douche parents. <laughs> the girl points across the playground to Huckleberry crawling precariously across the monkey bars. Pike takes off, but as she does, she notices an incredibly good-looking African-American man named Leonard running full speed through the lobby. He checks an app on his iPhone. Damn it! He catches up to her as they run toward the monkey bars. I was assigned to this one, Leonard. So was I, sweetheart. They're double booking again? And you said they'd stop that. Yeah, this is a kid falling. Could be worth a ton of points. He elbows her to take the lead. She grabs his shirt to catch up. Exactly. That's why I need it. you got a zillion points to go. This ain't gonna make a dent for you. What you needed was to save that plane yesterday. Oh, that's right. You did. And you got 16 whole points. He laughs. She smacks him in the head. You're not a nice person, Leonard. Uh, I used to be. We all used to be. <laughs> They're now both yards away from the bars. Huckleberry loses his grip and catches himself by one hand. He's too scared to cry out. The moms are all oblivious. Leonard leaps a seesaw and is about to get there first when Pike yells out, Stranger danger! Stranger danger! <laughs> the moms turn and see a man sprinting toward a helpless child. No, 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 no. Hey, stop it! This momentarily slows Leonard, which gives Pike just enough time to shove him out of the way just as Huckleberry falls. Pike leaps to grab him and catches him in midair like a wide receiver. But as she hits the ground, the kid pops out of her grasp and right into the arms of Leonard. A mother reaches down and grabs Huckleberry out of his arms. Pervert! Another mother sprays mace in his face. Ah! Pike grabs her iPhone and looks at the app. Child on monkey bars. Achieved by Leonard Bach. 865 no, points. No, no! A suspicious mother approaches, approaches her on the sand. Excuse me, do you have a child here? Yeah, I do. Her name's Pomegranate Goat Feldman. <laughs> she slowly gets up and walks away. In the background, Leonard laughs in glee with mace tears as he looks at his iPhone. <laughs> in the subway later, Pike, her eyes red, stands in the middle of a jammed subway. Everyone reads newspapers. Right in her face is an article. Anatomy of a hero. How Sully did it. She notices an older woman drop her purse. She calls up Angry Birds on her phone and completes a level. It says no pending miracles at location. Damn, but she can't help herself and picks up the purse. I think you dropped this. Oh, thank you so much. My pills are in here. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> the old woman hugs Pike. As she does, Pike notices a candy bar in the purse. She takes it. You're a real angel. Unfortunately. We're exterior of the Fulton Street subway station later. Pike comes out of the subway eating the candy bar and checks her phone for the text with the address of where she's going for her hearing. She matches it with a number on a large warehouse building. Interior of the warehouse. It's an open warehouse with a skate ramp in the middle. A man in a helmet and sunglasses with red flowing hair skates up a storm. He does an incredible trick and lands in front of Pike. You're late. <laughs> <laughs> it's 3.02. I'm two minutes late. I want a gold medal in less than that. He takes off his helmet and sunglasses. It's Sean White. You're Mr. White, the liaison. You're one of us. They trained me as a skater so I can be famous again in the places average schnooks like you can. Like backstage at the Oscars. I saved Gwyneth Paltrow from choking to death on a hickam stick. <laughs> wow, how many points? 1920. They love her up there. We're really excited about her new lifestyle blog. It's got Hollywood secrets. <laughs> 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 she skates off towards the office. Pike follows. In the office overlooking the ring, Sean walks into his office and takes off his elbow pads. Then he removes his long red hair and puts it on a hook. <laughs> no way. My sponsors made me keep it. 
They say it's my brand. <laughs> I thought my brand was skating rad and being super awesome, but what do I know? <laughs> I'm not a brand manager. He turns on a giant flat screen TV and hits some buttons on his laptop. Skype pops up and starts connecting. They use Skype up here? Yeah, it saves a ton of long distance. Remember to look at the camera, not at yourself. <laughs> a man and a woman appear on the screen. These are the judges. Judges, I have Alison Pike here. The judges look at her file. Megan Cavanaugh, Dublin, Ireland. There's a picture of her original self, dowdy and heavy set. Nice choice with the new body, serious upgrade. Right? It's awesome. I never stand in line, everything I say is hilarious, and it's the only reason I get to keep my job. Why didn't you choose a new body? What? <laughs> I did. <laughs> oh, right. Sorry. Sorry. Hello, Miss Pike. Look at the camera, please, not at yourself. Sorry. Good afternoon. It's the evening, Miss Pike. We're eight and a half hours ahead. Sorry, I forgot. It's been a while. Two years. You were convicted of petty larceny for stealing a bicycle outside of an olive garden up here. I know. It was stupid. I had never been to an olive garden when I was alive and overdid it on the breadsticks because they're like crack. And I was too full to walk and it was raining and I totally planned on returning it the next day. Stealing? That's not the behavior that you got that got you accepted here. I was new, Judge. I'd only been up there for three weeks. I didn't know there were laws. <laughs> we're a regular society. Why does everyone think it's gonna be La La Land with white robes and gold coins and shrimp everywhere? <laughs> We need some sort of ad campaign to better prepare people. Maybe we can get Lady Gaga to tweet about it. Yeah, I hold off on her. Apparently she's made a deal a while ago. <laughs> the judge holds up a picture of Pike's old self holding hands with a heavyset man, her old husband. When you were living, you were married to Patrick Cavanaugh. High school sweethearts married six years. The sight of her old husband gets to Pike. Yes, and you won't let me see him. That's against the rules, Miss Pike. We don't want any back to the future shenanigans. <laughs> I know, it's just really hard. He's like a plane ride away. You were given a 42,000 point sentence. That seems excessive. It is. The average sentence for petty larceny is 2,500 points. Oh, she had Judge Miyazawa. Yikes. Maximum Miyazawa is a tough old coot. Give Gandhi a hundred thousand for indecent exposure. <laughs> They've been trying to take him off the bench since the Middle Ages. It's really not fair, with all due respect. I see you've only amassed 13,756 points in two years. That's low. It's not like I'm not trying. You're referring to Sylvia Roselli? Perfect example. Last week I spent two full days with that old lady trying to get her to see the Virgin Mary in a grilled cheese sandwich. And we have a video. He hits a button and a YouTube window pops up. We see exactly what Pike is describing. I finally befriended her enough to go to a diner and distracted her so I could scrape the face and the cheese, but when she saw it, she thought it was Mussolini. The old lady yells Mussolini and passes out. I'm not an artist, okay? I was a nurse when I was alive. I don't even know what M Mussolini looks like. That. He looks just like that. <laughs> <laughs> On the video, Pike revives the passed out lady. I'm really sorry for what I did. There's no excuse, and I should have been punished, but I've done my time, Your Honors. I've more than done my time. It's now just cruel and unusual, and at this rate, it's gonna go on for it's gonna go on for a lot longer. The judges cover their mouths and confer with each other. She saved a plane load of people yesterday, judges. She could have let that rhubarb sully take it right into the drink, and then boom, she's home right now, sucking on a breadstick. Miss <laughs> <laughs> Pike, we will take this under advisement. Good night. 
The familiar Skype tone alerts us that the call is over. What's that mean? Under advisement. It's legalese for you got boned. We'll try to make it right. Pike takes it in. Thanks. That was real nice, what you said. Ain't no thing. What are you doing later? Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. exterior of the restaurant, Barker walks out at the end of his shift. He looks around for Pike. She's nowhere to be seen. He heads up the block, disappointed. Pike sneaks out from behind a mailbox and taps him on the back of the neck. Parker spins around and instinctively throws a punch. Just as instinctively, she catches this punch and yanks his arm around his back. Ah! That's me! She releases Why did you jump out at me? I was trying to be whimsical. This is New York. It's no place for whimsy. <laughs> oh, yeah? She opens her jacket sexily. Want to skip dinner? Barker is confused. She's not naked underneath. <laughs> Pike looks down and sees she's wearing a flannel shirt under her jacket. Okay, I'm sorry, I got cold in the apartment. <laughs> she opens the flannel to Barker. Now she's naked. We're in Barker's apartment later, then they've just had sex. Pike rests her head on his shoulders. Barker's German Shepherd rests at their feet. Barker lights a cigarette. Pike knocks it out of his hand. You guys stop that, it's terrible for I'm you. I'm still young. As long as I stop soon, I'll be fine. That's what I thought. What? Just promise me you'll stop. What's in it for me? Every time you don't have a cigarette, I'll do this for you. She jumps up and does a super clumsy yet super cute stop smoking dance. <laughs> you have no control of your body. It's like you're wearing it like a jacket. <laughs> she collapses on the bed and steals a glance at her phone. I keep it fun though, don't I? <laughs> yeah, when you're with me, you do. But even when you're with me, it kind of feels like you're not with me. What are you talking about? You're always checking your phone, distracted, running out in the middle of stuff. It's so damn mysterious. I know, I'm sorry. If I didn't know any better, I think you went to CIA. How do you know I'm not? Barker lunges and tickles Pike. What's your email password? <laughs> I'm not telling you. <laughs> she tries to fight it, but can't. Brad's dick, but the ads is a vibe. <laughs> Pike gathers herself and traces one of his tattoos. A one-year sobriety chip with his name on it. Danny Barker. Every day is too hard as it is, Annie. You coming in and out of my life is just... I can't do it. I'm so sorry. I don't mean to. She snuggles with him. She clearly likes him, and he her. Pike stares into Barker's eyes, and she tears up. I want to let you in. I do. I'm just scared to death I'm going to hurt you when I have to do. Oh, this is a habit of yours. Getting guys to fool for you and leave them. Not by choice. She looks off, thinking about her old life. Barker rubs her arm. I don't know why you put up with me. I'm recovering. I have a history of making bad choices. Like that. He points to a tattoo of a chicken eating a hamburger. <laughs> she laughs and caresses his face. She starts to sing in an Irish accent and quite beautifully. <laughs> no, no, stop. You always do this. You start to get real, but then just stop and get out of it by butting your sexy eyes and singing some Irish songs. So beautiful. Tis you, tis you must go and I must buy. It's not fair, it's not fair. She rolls on top of him and kisses him. She lingers on his chicken tattoo. <laughs> but it was ironic, you know. In Barker's apartment the next morning, it's raining. Pike and Barker are drinking takeout coffee on his stoop. They sit in silence for a beat. 
I tell you something, will you promise to not think that I'm on meth? Well, I already think you're on meth. Okay, well, promise to believe me. Seriously. There's something that says this is for real. He nods. I've never told anyone this. Do you believe in heaven? You're not religious. It's just a way to blame something else for your life sucking. Uh, you're preaching to the choir. Uh, not that I really know what that looks like, because I've never been to a church, but there is a heaven, and it's not religious. I don't get it. I didn't either, but it's there, in outer space. <laughs> Seriously, for real. You go there, and you, you go there if you've been good, and it's just like here, with rain and taxes and chain restaurants, but without the sources of all the world's problems, you know, like drugs, guns, and religion. Those things don't exist. Although I'd argue that the bottomless breadsticks at the Olive Garden should be considered a drug. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, I know it sounds crazy, but heaven exists. I used to be there. Then I did something wrong, so I was sent back here to perform miracles that I don't know about until I get a message on Angry Birds, which is why I always have to leave when I'm with you. It's not you. It's it's not you. It's what I have to do as an angel. <laughs> I really like you. I meant when I said you're the best thing that's happened to me since I've been here, and until I actually get sent back, I, I want to be with you. Just then her iPhone buzzes. Angry Birds. She expertly completes the level. Computer crash. NYU dorm. Barker sees that look in her eyes. If you leave right now, that's it. That's it, I'm serious. I'm so sorry. She gives him a deep kiss. She really loves him. Then she turns and hustles off down the sidewalk and around the corner, leaving Barker once again. He can't believe it. We find Pike around the corner. She stops. What is she doing? She gives herself a little scream, steals herself, and turns back. When she gets around the corner, she sees Barker lighting a cigarette and heading back inside. She stops, then runs off back around the corner. We're in the NYU, an NYU dorm, a soaked pike from the rain knocks on a door. A stoned college kid answered. He's shocked at the beauty at his door. Hi, can I use your phone? Hell yeah, you can. <laughs> Thanks, my cell phone died and I'm just freaking the H out. <laughs> she looks around the room. The guy's clearly been locked in working on something on his computer. She accidentally trips and spills her coffee all over him. Oh, whoops, I'm such a klutz. She starts wiping his shirt and pants with her hands. Go. The guy is shocked slash elated. <laughs> Go change. I'll just use your phone, okay? I'm such a dunderhead. <laughs> uh, no worries. She accidentally, seductively, wipes his cheek as he goes into the bedroom. Pike rushes to his laptop and types away. She opens the deep settings page and starts to fiddle. It's clear she knows her way around a computer. She makes some quick changes as she dials Leonard on her phone. We intercut with a Tribeca street. Leonard stands there in between parked cars. Hey, Pike. What's good? I'm doing this computer crash job and I need some help. Whoa. Those are usually worth upwards of 50 points. 4,000 more of those and you're home free. Shut up. The kid's stoned and looks really geeky, so I'm hoping he might be inventing the new Facebook or something. It might be worth a ton. Damn. Why not get that one? It's probably because I'm black. You chose to be black, okay? Take the good with the bad. <laughs> a car tries to pull into the parking space in which Leonard is standing. Sorry, man. Can't park here. You can't hold a spot. Get out of way, jerk off. Leonard lunges menacingly at the car. The driver is scared and drives off. Motherfucker, get out the fucking way! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
It's true. People are scared of black people. <laughs> so I'm looking at this computer and everything seems fine. Do you see anything weird? She grabs a cord from her purse and connects it to her phone. Then she hits a button, sending it to Leonard. A thundercloud booms outside the window and lightning brightens the wet sky. Tyke clicks away some more. Leonard looks at the data on his phone. What do you want? A parking job? Uh, some mother of three needs to find a space in front of a in front of her pediatrician's. Real Mother Teresa stuff. Well, the computer seems fine to me. Tell me where you are and I'll come help. Ha, you wish. Pike looks around and notices a heating pad on the chair she's sitting on. She follows the cord under the table and sees it's plugged into an old extension cord, and so is the laptop. And so is a cell phone, a toaster, a vaporizer, a PS3 and a Kindle, a fried computer waiting to happen. Thanks, Leonard. Gotta go. She hangs up as another driver tries to park. Leonard screams and waves menacingly. <laughs> back to the dorm where Pike unplugs the laptop from the extension cord just as the kid comes back. Lightning flashes outside and the lights all dim for a second. Pike glances at the laptop. It's running fine. Uh, thanks for the phone. You're a stud. She heads out to the door, but just as she's about to leave, she sees the kid bend over and plug the laptop back into the extension cord. I keep that out of the wall, you know? The lightning and all. Nah, I like things in their place. It's all good. Seriously, I keep it unplugged. Nah, I like things in their place. It's all good. <laughs> she checks her Angry Birds app. No points. The miracle hasn't been achieved yet. Damn it. Hey, can I make one more call? Hell yeah, you can. Great. I left the number downstairs. I'll be right back. She bolts out of the room. We're in a dorm hallway. She sprints down the hallway to the janitor's closet. Jimmy's a lock with a pin, she gets from her hair. Interior of the janitor's closet, she jams a small flashlight in her mouth and opens the fuse box. She checks to see if all the fuses are okay. They look fine. She notices one of the fuses is marked Bendix. In the hallway moments later, she runs up to the vending machine, gets down on her knees, and peers underneath. Jackpot, a surge protector. She tries to move it, but it's too heavy. She drops to the ground, takes off her shoe, reaches her leg way underneath, and fishes the surge protector from under the machine. She pulls it out with her toes. Just then, two college girls walk by, and she slurs. I'm so wasted right now. Go Cougars! <laughs> in the dorm room, she bursts into the room. The guy's back at work at his computer. Rain pounds on the window. She sees lightning in the overloaded plug. It's not good. She overdramatically collapses on the couch. Are you okay? I was, I'm feeling a little faint. Um, can you get me a cold washcloth? Hell yeah, I can. <laughs> he goes into the bathroom. Pike jumps up and maniacally jams the extension cord into the surge protector and plugs it in. She hears the water turn off and she lunges back onto the couch. The kid returns with a washcloth. Thanks, I'm feeling much better. I must have been a mini-stroke. <laughs> Just then a huge lightning bolt cracks in the sky and the lights go out. This time they don't go back on. Oh no! Oh my work! He rushes to the computer as the lights go back on. The computer sparks back to life. All good. He looks down and follows the extension cord to the wall and sees... Surge protector. When did I do that? What a miracle. Yes, it was. She checks her phone. Computer crash. Achieved by A. Pike. 28,248 points. Total points, 42,004. Pike is stunned. Oh my god. She heads out but turns back at the door. Hey, what were you working on, if you don't mind me asking? Something really big. Well, good luck. I'm sure you're going to change the world. She winks and walks out. He watches her go, and the camera tracks to see what he'd been working on. He was playing Farmville. <laughs> the NYU dorm moments later, the thunderstorm moves on and the sun peeks out. Pike gets a text. Sentence complete. Report to Macy's. Pike is elated, but not as much as she'd expected. Why not? Interior of the taxi, Pike dials her phone as she rides to Macy's. Whoever she's calling isn't there, and it goes to voicemail. 
She looks out the window in New York. She sees miracles waiting to happen. A person in a wheelchair crossing against traffic. A bicyclist texting and not paying attention. A distraught man buying a lottery ticket. This is what she'll be leaving. Interior Macy's. Pike enters the store and looks around. What is she supposed to do? She sees a commotion at one end of the store. She moves closer and sees that it's Sean White signing skateboards. She makes her way over. The security guard stops her. Gotta get in line, ma'am. She sees the line snakes all around the store. This is all for Sean White? You gotta be kidding me. He slides around on a board. Back of the line, ma'am. Pike bolts to the front of the line of skate rats. Everyone yells at her. She Sean! Care. Let her in, boys. She's a crazy fan. She's got my name tatted on her snooch. Okay, that's not true. It's not true. Okay. Okay, it's not true. It's true. We go Sean for snooch, then white. It's like Sean backslash white. She's a little crooked now. The boys all laugh. Sean takes Pike aside. Congrats, bro. You're going back. Yeah, I think I just saved something huge. It was worth 28,000 points. Uh, not really. The dude was planting corn and feeding his piggies. Judges inflated it so you could finish your sentence. Oh. Go to Grand Central, catch the 805 train to Schenectady. You gotta be on that train or your points go back to zero. Back to zero? That's harsh. That's yeah, based on precedent. St. Francis of Assisi? You went out drinking after you finished his sentence and got some girl pregnant. <laughs> no bueno. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, okay. See you on the flip side. It's a real shame you're gonna lose that body. You sure you don't want to get one more ride out of it? He yanks his wig off as he <laughs> shrieks. That's right, kids. He's bald. Worship your false idol now. <laughs> Exterior Macy's. Pike exits and checks her phone. 7.24 p.m. She looks out in traffic for a taxi. Good luck. But then, as if by divine intervention, a taxi appears out of nowhere. She gets in. Grand Central, please. My pleasure, ma'am. The taxi pulls out, and again, as if from above, a clear lane of traffic magically appears right in front of the taxi. In real time, we stay with the taxi as it drives to Grand Central, making every light and lane change at 55 miles per hour in Manhattan. The driver runs around. We're at Grand Central. The driver runs around and opens the door for Pike. She checks her phone. It's 7.25. She still has time. Can you make one quick stop? We're at the restaurant. Pike runs in. Connie is folding napkins. Hey, Connie, is Barbara working? No, he took the day off. Here, help me fold napkins in the shape of a swan. Rich people love wiping their faces with swans. I can't <laughs> stay. In fact, I think I'm leaving the city. What? I'm really gonna miss you. You've been so cool to me. A real friend. Wait, you're going back to Iowa? Nebraska. Same thing. <laughs> Corn and white people. I know I'm gonna see you again. She hugs her. That's it, huh? I mean, I can't throw you a going away party with male strippers and dancing and male strippers. <laughs> See you in another life. And off she goes. Connie watches her run out and jump into her waiting cab. The Grand Central Pike, Pike walks through the station. From above, it looks like she's walking her own path with no one in her way. She sees the schedule board flip and shows Schenectady, 8.05, on time. She checks the clock, 7.38, plenty of time. On the platform, moments later, she waits alone. She calls Barker. Hey. We intercut with Central Park. Barker jogs down a tree-covered path. He's all alone. Hey. Are you on a run? Yeah. Yeah, Central Park. I'm really sorry about this morning. It was, uh, it's okay. I'm going home. You mean back to heaven? There's silence between them. Pike starts to tear up. I love you, Danny. I don't expect 
you to love me back, just know that I love you. See ya. He hangs up, clearly emotional. He fumbles his phone as he puts it back in his pocket. It falls to the ground in pieces. Back to pipe. She hangs up just as her train pulls into the station. The doors open and she goes aboard. We stay on the platform as we see her take a seat. 805 disconnected, eh? All aboard! Interior of the train, Pike absentmindedly plays with her phone. She goes on Angry Birds, completes the stage, and pulls up pending miracles. She glances through all the miracles in the area until one catches her eye. Jogger hit by branch, strawberry field. Barker, no. Is this Barker? Something tells her it is. She dials his number, goes straight to voicemail. She watches to see who will be assigned the miracle. Other miracles are assigned one by one, but not this one. She dials Barker again, voicemail. Back to the miracle list, it's still there. Assign it! But no. She checks the time, 7.50. The platform through the train window, we see Pike jump out of her seat. Pike tears out of the station and starts running down the street. The wind is blowing. Bumper to bumper traffic, no magic taxis. She jumps in a pedicab. Exterior 42nd Street, she zooms down the sidewalk in the pedicab, urging the driver to pedal as fast as he can. We're 59th Street in Central Park. The cab zooms up and Pike jumps out. The wind is even stronger now. She sprints into the park. Quick shots as she maneuvers through the park. She knows her way around. We're exterior Strawberry Field. It's howling now. Pike turns the corner and sees a jogger ahead of her running right for a giant maple tree. Swaying in the wind, a large branch, branch hanging precariously. She tries to yell, but he's wearing headphones and can't hear. She sprints. He jogs. It's a race. Summoning all her strength, she runs as fast as she humanly and maybe not so humanly can. At the last possible second, she leaps through the air and tackles the jogger, blindsiding him. They fall to the ground in a heap. Just then the giant branch falls from the sky, exploding on the ground right where he was jogging. Miracle achieved. Yeah! The jogger turns over. It's not Parker. Pike is stunned. You saved my life. She sees his leg is bleeding. I'll go get help. She sprints away. She can't believe she did that. What was she thinking? We're exterior Central Park West. She runs out of the park and flags down a police car. There's a man hurt at Strawberry Field. Call an ambulance. She doesn't wait for an answer. Off she goes. As she runs down the street, we see Barker jog past in the background. There's quick shots as Pike runs through the gridlock street, summoning energy she never had, knew, never knew she had. When they get back to Grand Central, she runs inside. In Grand Central, there's an overhead shot as Pike sprints through the terminal. On the platform, we're close on Pike as she turns the corner only to find her train sitting there waiting. She made it. She looks up at the clock. It's 8.04. Yes, yes, oh my god, yes. She spins around and lets out a whoop as the all-aboard bell rings. She enters the train, but then she comes back out. There's a strange look on her face as she looks across the platform. A train has just left and passengers mill about. We're on Pike as her blood drains. We move to see what she's seeing. A heavyset man holding a briefcase. It's her old husband from Ireland, two years older. Patrick? Uh, yes. Do I know you? Pike is frozen, speechless. Patrick turns and heads off. As he disappears into the crowd, he turns and looks back. For the quickest of moments, we see what looks like recognition. Or was it? Pike remains frozen. So frozen that she doesn't notice the 805 disconnected he pull out behind her. It's too late when she turns. Wait! Wait! She runs the length of the train to no avail. It's gone. We're on Pike. Back to zero. We fade out.
that's our show for this month. If you're enjoying the podcast, you should know that Maximum Fun is a member-supported network, and the best way to support Dead Pilot Society is to become a member of Maximum Fun, which you can do at maximumfun.org/donate. The Max Fun Drive is coming up in March. Become a member, you'll get some cool bonus stuff. Thank you to my co-host Ben Blacker, to all of our performers whose names you'll find in the show notes. Thanks to Arts and Sciences, Ethan Walter, Ted Leo, Courtney Hyde. Please subscribe on Maximum Fun or iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. And leave us a rating. That really helps. You can follow us on Twitter at Dead Pilots Pod. We're on Facebook and Instagram at Dead Pilot Society. Until next month, I'm Andrew Reich. Thank you for listening. <laughs>